listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I am doing well. I'm happy to be hosting the show with you once again. Indeed. So, you know, interesting guests, some worlds colliding here, you know. Yeah. Back yeah. to some uh, early HubSpot connections. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly right, but uh, certainly not at HubSpot now, and uh, I think it's interesting to see how that and other experiences have informed uh, our guest's uh, approach to his work. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's not every day that you get to, um, to create something entirely new within a manufacturer. Yeah, or, yeah, or build that... something, you know. Well, I guess you do get to build things with manufacturers, <laughs> otherwise you wouldn't be a manufacturer. Yeah, but I do think there are, you know, everybody faces those in their career. I kind of call them the dog catches the car moments, right? Where you're doing <laughs> that thing for the first time and you maybe know about it in theory a little bit or what have you. I'm hopeful that today's conversation will um, uh, maybe give some people some you know, uh, food for thought about things to consider as they build out their go-to-market teams, how they how they uh, uh, imagine what that could be. And, and today's guests will um, uh, shine a light on a, a number of interesting things. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. So joining us today is Michael Curry. Mike is the general manager of the desktop printing unit at Nexa 3D. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Mike. Thank you very much, Shaman. Glad, glad to be here. Happy to have this conversation today with you all. Now, I've got to say, Jeff, you navigated that whole uh, Michael in print versus Mike in audio thing really well. Um, <laughs> yeah? That was impressive. Yeah, uh, professional. We're 100, <laughs> 170 odds uh, episodes yeah. deep here. I should have figured it We're out by now. We're just not hacking this together, kids. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously, Mike, uh, it is wonderful to have you on the show, and, and thank you for joining us. Uh, why don't we we start by learning a little bit about the the company that that you're with currently and your role there? Sure, happy to. So I'm with Nexa 3D. Uh, we make industrial 3D printers, uh, uh, large format, uh, all in the polymer space at the moment. And our 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 goal is to really bring the next generation of ultra fast printing to the marketplace. Uh, there are a lot of 3D printing technologies out there, um, but one of the critical factors is that you can get a design or get a production part through uh, through through the 3D printer as fast as possible, and that you know accelerates time to market. It it gives designers more time to try different uh, varieties and flavors of a product to land on one that that is is the right one, um, and just as really, I think a lot of people are getting to a similar place in terms of quality of a 3d print and now it's those other uh factors such as speed uh ease of use and intuitiveness which are now like the new um, battle spaces i guess or the the next frontier for getting uh 3d printers more mass adopted um, in the marketplace it's not necessarily germane to this conversation, but are are Nexus printers more used primarily in the prototyping space or production? They have so far been used uh, in the production space, and just recently, and one of the reasons why you know you mentioned my title is that we've launched a new desktop business line, and the idea there is that you still uh, all over half of the of the market for three D printing is in is in prototyping. Um, or in small uh, small numbers of units, like less than ten, is still 
you know, the, the, the major portion of the, of the, of the pie, so to speak. So the technology, you know, if it just is a production technology, then that, that value is, is trapped just in there. And so the idea is to bring that technology down to the desktop where, where individual designers, students, creators, um, can take advantage of that same, um, speed. So that's the idea. And, you know, we're still 3d printing is still progressing from prototyping into mass manufacturing. And so there's still that core need there for, for the tool at the individual level. Um, you're relatively new to the organization, uh, having had a, a, you know, a, a long and varied career. And, uh, so tell us a bit about, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Thank you. Uh, I started off my career actually uh, as an engineer working in the the military first first and foremost, and then in the DoD research space after that. Uh, so did a lot of a lot of work designing uh, measurement uh, per, you know measurement prototypes, uh, doing a lot of work designing algorithms. So that was sort of my first chapter of my career, and and around ten years in, um, I, I you know felt. Like I, I needed to understand if if I could hack it in the commercial space. When you're in the in the uh, defense space, in many cases, you know, there's unlimited budgets because you know the the cost is a human life. So they don't really can't put a sign of value to it. So they give you lots and lots of of uh, of resources to to figure out a way to solve that problem. The flip side is you're not necessarily sure if like you can handle it in a marketplace where there's a different set of constraints around, you know, profitability, um, adding value to someone's workflow. So I took the plunge, I moved, um, overseas to, to Asia and lived in Singapore for three and a half years, uh, where I was working for Oracle Corp at the time, um, very sales driven organization, a great set of products. And that was sort of where I cut my teeth. Um, commercially. And uh, since then, I've had some stints at HubSpot. Um, I also had a stint at another 3D printing company in the space called Formlabs, uh, was part of a robotics organization. And, and now I'm back with Nexa 3D. So at each of those stops, I, I've built one or two teams myself. So this is sort of like the sixth time around uh, building out a new team. And so hopefully, um, I'm going to bring some some new tricks to this, to this, to this build, um, in the near, in the next few weeks here. Very cool. So where, you know, when you're thinking about this and, and you're coming into an organization, what's the, you know, obviously you're not just going to start hiring people willy nilly, you, you know, you need to have a bit of a strategy for this. Where, where are you starting and, and what are you looking at first? Sure. Uh, yeah, for sure. So there's a lot to get done and, they're also obviously the timeline is always compressed in business. Um, so you know, the idea of, of building out a team, you know, from scratch seems very appealing. However, you know, the first step is to say, okay, where, where are the resources and what kind of allies do I have within the current company that I can help, they can help achieve the objective before having to go out and then fill, fill the gap that you see elsewhere. So that's the first step. And so, you know, maybe if you can get half of your, your need filled with internal teams, um, that's like the first, at least they, they get you catalyzing and, and catalyze the start of this process. And then you can then stand up, uh, maybe more operationally efficient teams as you go 
which takes some of the pressure off like the immediate need to hire so fast. Um, so I think of it as, you know, transitioning first, grabbing whatever, you know, grabbing as many resources as are available and possible internally, while you have the vision of standing up this ultimately more operationally effective unit down the line. Um, and then the, for me, the, the first step in doing that second bit is, is finding the right leadership. Um, and that's probably the most critical thing is fi finding that next leadership hire that is going to actually be the person that is the frontline manager for uh, ultimately the, the sales or the services or customer support people um, that will be selling and marketing your product. You know, I guess when you find that leader, uh, if they're particularly good, they often have at least some established ways of thinking about um, that work. I guess uh, I'd be curious how you navigate that. Uh, coming into an organization, you have your own vision for the organization that you're seeking to create. You're obviously needing to bring that to life through the uh, uh, assistance of other leaders that, that you're bringing on. Um, any uh, secret sauce you've learned over the six times you've done this to uh, align or calibrate with with uh, leaders that you're onboarding into an organization? That's a that's a great question. I think if if you're <clears throat> developing from within, the the, the person is is already sort of a, a product of that culture that is is coming in. If you're hiring externally, then I I think the the onus is on you to spend a lot of time with that individual and um, communicate what you're looking for and make that almost part of the, the hiring process where you like, you basically vet each other out to see if, you know, if, if what I'm saying resonates and then can they also build on top of that? Are they, are they just sort of soaking it in and saying, yes, okay, that, that sounds, that sounds great. Or are they going to collaborate? Um, so if they can both at a, at a first, first level, understand where I'm going and like, see, see the value there and want to build that, that's a great first sign. If they can then also add to that and tweak it and, and, and bring their own experiences to it, then that's even better. Um, but if it's, it's, you know, if I think you're right, if it's just simply like, okay, here's the playbook, go execute it, then that's <clears throat> ultimately not going to be successful because they don't have as much ownership in, in, in that process. So it's probably more like, here's the vision I have. Here's why I think it works this way. You know, do you agree with that vision? Okay. What tweaks would you make to it? Great. And then, okay, now here's, now it's, it's yours to go create, you know, if you do it all for them, then, then they don't have that sense of ownership and without that sense of ownership, they're not going to, uh, you know, do as well in the role or, or, or feel as committed and, and, and as bought in as possible. I think that notion that you just mentioned of can they build upon it? Like, you know, I can articulate the vision, I communicate it, you know, and, and, and through conversation and dialogue, can we get to a place where they're building upon it, um, it taking it and making it their own in some way, shape or form? Yeah, that is such a such a critical piece. Frankly, if I think about the um, uh, in in my career history, the, the leaders that I would say were the best were the ones that were able to persistently navigate those conversations yeah, yeah. nurture your experience into something that adds yeah yeah yeah, yeah interesting yeah because if, if you only get your own opinion or you only do things that you think are right then you only have one shot at it basically <laughs> right <laughs> if you can bring you know you better dan you better be right about it um 
if not, it's it's better off to have some flexibility and and bring in those other points of view. I guess, Mike, how are you? Um, I, I don't know whether I'd say philosophically, but I guess how are you thinking about building out the team? I understand the steps that you go through, and I, I love this notion of uh, uh, trying to, to to leverage internal resources before we uh, obviously begin to look outside. Um, but uh, I guess, uh, you know, to what end? What are you trying to create that you feel is in some way either different than, than what your competitors are bringing to market or, or different than how you've seen uh, similar marketing sales, customer service organizations operate in the past? Sure, sure. Um, for, for, for this unit, uh, this, 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 this unit that we're starting up, um, you know, it's a, it's a B2B business selling uh, a manufacturing tool, a 3D printer for those business, businesses to use. Um, so the, the, way, the way that I'm thinking about this in, in terms of, you know, when that, the price point is, is not, it's not a, it's, it's, it's for the, for large, to a large degree, it's, it's an off the shelf component. It's not something that is, has, you know, an amazing amount of configurability into the product. So you can communicate a lot of the value to the product upfront in marketing. And it, it's not such a complex beast that you, you know, you need to have uh, an in-depth consultation or customization process that you have to go through. Um, so because of that, you know, the, there, when someone does want to go engage with this, with the sales team or a services team member, um, the assumption is that they've already ingested a lot of information about the, about the, about the product they've done right. So when they do get to that salesperson, um, the, that sales team has to both be like, have two things, I guess, curiosity and, and also experience, um, to, to generate additional value in that conversation with, with that, with that customer. Um, if all they're doing is, is sort of regurgitating or, or repackaging what is on, what is already on, on the, you know, the website or the marketing collateral, then I think that's a lost opportunity. And so it really means that, um, the team has to be, uh, curious about what they're doing and curious about the act of 3d printing, you know, I, I, I've seen this a few times now where, um, selling from curiosity or selling from experience is, is, is one of the, the best ways to do it. Um, it just creates more empathy for the, the user, um, gives people more authenticity and credibility around like the product they're selling. And what's really unique about 3d printing and even like HubSpot, for instance, you know, um, the tools are not super expensive to bring on board. So you can actually, you know, use them yourself as a seller of those, of the, of those tech, of those tools and techniques. Um, I'm recalling back at, in HubSpot, the first thing they, the first thing you do for the first month of your HubSpot existence is you actually are given a free instance of HubSpot and you have to go create a company and make it grow and get leads. So you, you literally had to do the job of a marketer um, do the job of a, of a, of a, of a B2B salesperson on your own and prove that to, uh, the powers that be in that first month to keep on going as a hub spotter. Um, we implemented a similar program like that, um, at my last 3d printing company called form labs, where we taught people how to, in their first four weeks, how to, uh, 
become a CAD designer. And then once you're a CAD designer, now you can now print something. And then once you can print something, you can go through a few design iterations. So before you knew it, you know, after four weeks, you had at least imbued yourself with the, the empathy of, of what the persona you're selling to. Um, and what happened was a lot of people carried that with them, um, carried the printer forward, would print sample parts for people. Um, when COVID hit that, that experience and selling from experience and selling from curiosity extended, we actually would give people 3D printers to take remote um, when they're at home to then keep that connection with the product they're selling. And I think that's uh, critical to what, to what I'm looking to achieve here is, is, is have that type of seller that really understands and like enjoys the act of this technology. Um, from a business perspective, I've also seen that when you hire and build a team that has that DNA to it, they want to stay with the company and the product longer. Um, they see it; they're just they're just much more tied to the to the mission of the company, um, as opposed to seeing it as a way to like okay get closing experience and then move to the next to the next potential uh, company that may offer me a bigger a bigger paycheck or a bigger salary. So it helps on the retention and it helps on the um, it helps on the selling side to see eye to eye with the with the customer. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. I love that, that notion of selling from curiosity and experience. Yeah. And of course, crafting the early days of someone someone's uh, uh, work experience in the firm around uh, basically the gaining product. that yeah. gaining that experience and, and getting that level of customer empathy and then I mean, and then I suppose in, in a lot of ways it's probably about hiring for the curiosity at the start yeah um, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure that our current rep or our previous rep at HubSpot now uses his HubSpot instance for his competitive barbecue team <laughs> not even joking nice. Yeah, nice there there are so many of those stories where that first four-week project became their company whether it's uh i know you know uh, a wedding venue destination business or um um a you know a, a soccer training camp um business i've seen it so many times and it, yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's funny is a lot of times they'll actually when it goes to to create a demo, you know, a lot of times a B two B company will give you a can demo and a can demo environment. Some of those folks they, they they pull up their own HubSpot instance and say like, hey, here's what I've done and here's like how it's changed my life, um, and it really resonates. And so hopefully the same thing can be true with with uh, with some of the manuf manufacturing technologies that are more compact and more accessible at the desktop space you know it's hard to do with you know a massively large cnc machine or something like that but the the form factor of this 3d printer allows for this team to really get hands-on with it i love that yeah i do too i'm kind of curious how how do we extend that because it's um 
and it's a wonderful kind of, if you will, start to the business relationship when sales is operating that way. Um, and I think a lot of organizations, uh, you know, find that they they navigate a bit of a uh, there's a bit of a hitch, if you will, uh, where people are transitioned from from sales over to customer service. I guess, how are you building the organization to navigate that handoff, or are you trying to avoid the handoff altogether? Yeah, in my in in the ideal world, I think you would like to have these 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 superhuman beings that can slosh from sales to services um, without any operational frictions there, and, and like it just that's the way it works. I think. Uh, but there are definitely different skill sets there that have to be honored, right? Um, sometimes, you know, account managers don't want to be account executives. And so there's some aspects of the job that maybe they, they don't gravitate to. So I think there is going to be some specializations in between those two roles. But what I would like to do is to the, to the extent possible, kind of put them in pods where the organization, um, the organizational cutover or difference is within the pod itself. It's not two or three levels of managers above. I think when you have that functional crossover as low in the, in this, in the organization as possible, that's when you get like the ability to have that fluidity when like the functional crossover happens, you know, at the director level or the manager level, then you have to have all these just communication processes back and forth. Um, and that's when you start to get, you know, some more calcification and like, it makes it harder. It takes it it's slower to do stuff. So if possible, push that functional um, crossover cutover lower into the team. And what I'm trying to do, what I'd like to do is create actually a, a pod level where sales and services and customer success are actually operating as a, as a unit at, at a pod level and then have, you know, managerial oversight above that, they can, that, that, that are, are folks that are, you know, successful in sales and services and, you know, customer service. And so they're, they're more generalized. Um, and that's, that's, and then looking out for the over, ultimate looking out for the, the customer experience is number one in that situation. I wonder, are you, um, incorporating marketing into that as well and kind of bringing them into that pod that's a great that's a great question um what i i've so that, that what i've what i've seen is that the arming the uh the these pods with collateral that um has already been sort of polished and vetted and and drafted by marketing is one of the things that i've seen that's most effective and there's a lot of tools now um, between their you know knowledge bases and other sales engagement tools where you know marketing can create a repository of things that um, are 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 approved and and are, are putting our best foot forward and they can use those as a starting point I, I think if you ask a typical salesperson you know they want to have some freedom and creativity but this gives them a good, like a start, a, a good starting foundation to then go from. Um, and with that also in mind, you know, with some modern tools these days, uh, marketing also wants to know like what is, what is good and what's not good. 
So the ability to then, you know, have a salesperson send out something that's, you know, from marketing on their behalf gives them that, that feedback, um, can give them that feedback of what is working as what not working. I think, you know, the marketer's enemy is a a sales rep that downloads the PDF and sends it as an attachment. And then there's no more tracking or no one really knows what's happening. (laughs) Ah! Uh, So, you know, as, as much as we can, you know, put in those tracking points so that um, we can start from, you know, a place of goodness and then let, let the teams also uh, put their own personality into it yet still be able to have the tracking and like understand, okay, at the foundational level, this type of content is doing well. Um, And that's just going to help. That's going to help the marketers get a good sense of what is working. And then they can double down on that um, because obviously the salesperson wants to, talk to more of the type of person that will be a successful, uh, you know, successful buyers or a successful customer in the, in the long run. I wonder, do you, do you feel like marketing is missing out by not having more direct uh, access to the customer in that model? Are they maybe not getting some nuance that they could otherwise get? Yeah. Great question. Uh, you know, I, I, the, the marketing, teams um so that's this this is a good question this harkens back to my robotics company um there the the after every successful engagement you know we would uh entice the client to get on a 20-minute phone call uh with us where we basically we recorded it for every for the whole organization to be able to hear but basically the, the the marketing team was the one that conducted the after action, the first after action survey with the client to see, you know, did we meet the the value we suggested, you know, and, and also like, what was the reason why, what was the, the crux of the reason why they went with the product? And that was led by the marketing team. So I think the marketing team, um, sure, they can do some of the earlier beta testings, but they need to figure out a way to slot back in after the fact and get and be able to get their first person feedback um, from the from the client um, and, and in a way that's unfiltered. So uh, that's what I would say that they they need they have to plug in both before the product is kind of created and then also plug in after and um, you know, it's up to the organization to, to, to put those hooks in to, to make that happen. It's an interesting way of thinking about it. Yeah. Versus having them along for the ride the entire time. Which uh, may I, not be no, not I, always useful. I think I can make arguments on both sides of this. Yeah. I think it's pretty interesting. It's, uh, you're making me think about it more, Mike, which is, uh, I think, part of the uh, purpose of this podcast. Yeah. I think, too, you know, one of the things that you've, you've talked about before is this idea of, honoring the intelligence of the people that you're working with, both the customers, you know, the things that your sales team knows, uh, the things that your marketing team knows in terms of, you know, what's vetted, what works, what uh, what's going well. How are you baking that in to ensure that, you know, a- as someone is coming on as an Exa 3D customer, that you are, you know, really trying to understand and ensure that you, that, uh, you know, you're using what they know as part of as part of each of um, each sort of uh, relationship. So we're, we're, time will tell. Um, I, I think the 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 first thing that um, I think is important is that there is 
um, definitely a process, the, the nurturing process itself in terms of, of getting the client educated to a point um, so that when the salesperson does interact with them, it's, it's not a, you know, it's, it's not a, a, it obviously if they want to, if the person wants to come in and speak to salesperson early and, and learn a lot, sure. We can enter, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the job. Um, but what we'd like to do is give enough proof points and enough opportunities for that client to self-educate. And then when they do come to the, do, do come to the sales team, like the first question we can ask is say, okay, you know, what brings you here? What level of experience do you have with 3d printing and quickly like level set where they are in terms of their, you know, their, their experience with the matter. And then we can create the dialogue and have the conversation that, that advances that, you know, and maybe, you know, there are, you know, someone who's has a, a huge amount of experience with 3d printing and, you know, then the salesperson may need to, to quickly pull in a, 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 one of our experts too, to, to match that requirement. Um, so that's, that's how I, I would think about it. You know, giving the op, them, the customer the opportunity to learn more on their own um, and self-educate. And then once they do request to be contacted um, or have a reason to be contacted, then you, you quickly level set, like, hey, what is their experience level? How new are they the product? what other types of things do they do? And really what we call like understand the functional environment as soon as possible. Um, and then from there we can then when can send, okay, what will move the needle for this person? What will move this conversation forward? Yeah. I have no idea where this is going to go, but I, <laughs> I find that sometimes in, um, in business or life or what have you, some of what you choose to do um, is based upon, having seen it be ha having seen it done so poorly in another way uh, so an example i always use is like a lot of my approach to management is informed by the fact that i had an incredibly bad manager when i worked at a grocery store in high school like he was he was just like it, it was a textbook about what not to do so you could almost um plan your managerial style around what would i wouldn't even say his name but what would he do do the opposite of that. It's probably the right thing. Um, <laughs> it's a good starting point. Anyway. <laughs> now, so I guess, and, and you, you, know, you, I think as marketers, as salespeople, as we build out these functions, we think about what are the frustrations that we've experienced. What do we want to avoid? I guess what are as you build this out, what are the uh, what are the top things you're trying to avoid? Like the last thing I want is for somebody to say X about this organization. Hmm. Uh, it's a great question. I, I, where I was going to go before that was some of the things that I, I think I want to avoid is, uh, what I, I don't want to do is, 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 uh, attempt to boil the ocean, I guess, in terms of attempting to sell to everyone at the same time. I think there's, you know, when you get a set of targets, you know, the, the first thought is like, who else can I talk to? Right. And, um, the tendency is to go find a, a big pool of people that could potentially use the product. Right. So you start to, you know, we had this store, we had the situation where we started to go, you know, find jewelers, but then somehow sooner or later, the jewelers went to devolved into 
pawn shop owners that may be doing jewelry or selling reselling <laughs> or melting down jewelry and it kind of like it became this process of like where can we find pools of people to call into um and you know what happened is you a lot of times you know dial in you know as a salesperson you're you're you think you're progressing because you're getting your 100 dials a day but you're not necessarily thinking if, if this is like the has a high degree of success and you know that leads to to a lot of, of burnout so i think what i would not want to be like is is um a, a team that is trying to boil the ocean and find every possible person to buy my product versus uh focusing in on the, the places where we think that our product has a lot of advantageous qualities and really get to the bottom of that barrel first before we go looking for other more tangential things which which you know, is, 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 could be psychologically damaging to someone if they never, <laughs> ever succeed. And so you want to, you want to really define the balance of success versus struggle for your team so that at the end of the day, they're feeling like they're winning and not just losing all the time. So I think that's the, the thing that I would um, want to do and, and would want to create for, for the, for the, for the teams. That's uh, that's some, certainly something to live into the notion of um, uh, focus and not letting yourself get distracted by tangential Numbers. opportunity. Well, and, and, and you know, honestly, it's a vanity metric. Yeah, you know, I, I made the hundred calls today. Yeah, forty of them were to uh, jeweler pawn shops where I <laughs> melt stuff down and not build stuff. Or not the yeah, they're not the right people, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And yeah, when the numbers get get big and. Uh, the targets get large. There's, there's that, you know, there's the, the, where else can I go find stuff idea? Um, and I think that's the one thing that you have to be careful of. Well, Mike, this has been a fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for uh, joining the podcast today. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It's a, it was a great conversation. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing this one live on, on my favorite I know I, I'm an Apple, I'm an Apple podcast guy. So hopefully you're on that one, or if not, I'll have to download Spotify. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're on, we're on them all. We're on them all. Thanks again all right. for joining us, Mike. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring. <laughs>